Well, we are in a Jonah series. We've been going through the book five weeks, through the book of Jonah. Today is our last week, chapter four, week five, but today's our last, last um, time. And so would you open with me to Jonah chapter four, and I will be reading. I'm so thrilled by this word, praying that God close it in power. I'm gonna read Jonah chapter four. But it pleased Jonah exceedingly. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord had appointed a plant, and that he may come over Jonah, that he may be able to put shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. This is the first time we read about Jonah being happy in the story. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. When dawn came up next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Father, we thank you so much for your presence and that you work in our midst and on your people. God, it is a joy and a privilege to lead this church. But I'm also lifting up every church in our community, every pastor, every preacher who's opening up the word, God, that we together may share with power. Lord, we desperately need you. We also pray for Ukraine and God, for that tragedy to cease, for peace to be restored to the country. God, I pray you bless us. In your name we pray, amen. Falling in love is like a super strange thing. Anybody know, sort of, like you've been there? Um, But you know, when you start dating, or you have dated, um, you really love the person, you know, you're dating, obviously. And you, you know, you start loving everything about them. You start noticing all of their characteristics, all of their traits. You're, you're like super excited about who you are dating and who you have and who's to become your husband. 
or your wife one day, and you are so, so excited. I don't know if you've ever been asked, like, what are you looking for in a husband or a wife? But we get, like, attached to these people, right, to our future beloveds. And so we're excited about who they are, and we're so excited that, oh, man, he's a He's into hobbies, he's such a hard worker, or she is so energetic, she's so like focused, she's so bubbly, she's an extrovert. We get super excited about their characteristics, about who they are, and then we get married. It's a good thing, by the way. Getting married is an amazing thing, but when we get married, we soon realize this thing, this phenomena, and that is that I may really love who you are, but not always what you do because of who you are. If once I, when I was dating, I love, oh, I loved you, babe, I love you so much, you're so carefree. When you get married, you start saying like, well, hey, babe, I love that you're carefree, but would you mind maybe putting that Xbox controller down and mowing the lawn for once? I love, I love, I love that you're such an extrovert, but I don't really, do we always have to talk? Like, always, 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 always we have to talk? Oh, I love that you're musical, you know? I love that you're so musical. But babe, do you really have to buy that fifth guitar? It's 11 p.m., would you mind putting that down? Oh, I hear this all the time, like, oh, I love my girlfriend soon to become my wife, she is so bubbly, she is so energetic, she's spontaneous. That's like the main quality now people look for, is she's spontaneous, she's outgoing, she's always out and about, and I love that. And then you get married, and two years into the marriage, you come home tired, and guess what? You're bubbly, excited, overly energetic, spontaneous wife has prepared an itinerary for you to join along when you would just prefer take a big, big nap. We start realizing that we may love who they are, but we don't always love what they do because of who they are. That's exactly what's going on with Jonah. He loves who God is. He has a problem with what God does. If you read in the first few verses, Jonah gives us the most beautiful depiction of who God is. It's straight up from the scripture of Old Testament. And he says, God, you are a gracious God. That means God is always shining, and he's always giving gifts to the undeserving. You are merciful. You are slow to anger. God has a whole lot of patience. And abounding in steadfast love. By the way, every time you see that steadfast love, that's speaking of a special kind of love, not just the kind of love that we know. In fact, in the English language, we don't even have a word that describes steadfast love. It's God's covenantal love. It means it's loyal. God is kind. God is unfailing in his love. Every time you read Psalms, you'll see the psalmist make a big deal about God's steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knows who God is, gracious, merciful, abounding in love, in steadfast love, 
Jonah has a problem with what God does with that love. That God all of a sudden decided to shine his face on Nineveh. Now, if you remember, Nineveh was exceedingly wicked. And they were enemies of Israel. And by the way, historically speaking, after the setting of this book, most likely Nineveh would harass and be the undoing of the Israel empire, or Israel nation. And God and Jonah has a problem with God. He is angry with what God is doing. He knows God is love. But my problem is who God loves. He knows God is forgiving and he probably worships God for being a forgiving God. His problem is that God is forgiving towards his enemies. He knows that God is full of blessing. His problem is that God decided to bless Nineveh. Do you find yourself in a similar situation? Angry with God. Do you find yourself in a situation where you're thinking like, come on, life is just unfair. Do you have anger towards God when God loves your enemies? You see, the gospel message is a beautiful one, right? Undeserving, sinner me, Jesus loves me. And also loves your enemy, (laughs) That same Jesus loves your enemy. And you're like, man, really, Jesus? No, no, not that person. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how they wounded me. Maybe you don't have enemies, but you have people you're competing with. You know? Anybody have people you're competing with? And you look and you're like, man, God is just so good to them. They have the promotions they need. They have the vacations they want. They have the marriage they want. Or they got a relationship that they wanted. And you're thinking, God, what, how is this even fair? You see, we can celebrate who God is and have a problem with what God does with it. Now, how do you feel about others? Now, listen, all of us here are celebrating the goodness of God towards us. My question today is, Are you celebrating the goodness of God in others' lives? Everybody here, (laughs) I hope, celebrates the mercy of God towards me. But do you celebrate the mercy of God in the lives of your enemies, your arch rivals, of your coworkers, people of different political party, people who have different views? Do you celebrate God in that? I want to read Romans 12, 15. And it says, rejoice (laughs) with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Hey, does this describe you on Instagram? Does this describe you how you look at life and people have good news to share? Uh, To be honest, can I be really honest? Like, I love you guys. I'm absolutely like a sinner like all of us. But it's far easier to rejoice with those who mourn And mourn with those who rejoice. Isn't it? It's far easier to rejoice with those who mourn when things are falling apart and mourn with those who rejoice. 
And Jonah's angry. He's angry at what God is doing to others. And there's an invitation here in this text. You can live in anger or you can live in celebration. You get to decide when it comes to other people's blessing and mercy and forgiveness and wealth and everything God's done for them, you get to decide, do I live in anger or do I live in celebration? Jonah asked this of God. Look at this. In verse 4, he prays to God. He expresses his frustration about God's goodness towards other people. And then God, what does God do in verse 4? God doesn't rebuke him. God doesn't just tell him like, Jonah, what are you talking about? God asks him a question. Jonah, do you do well to be angry? God is so tender. God is so kind that even in protest, even in anger, God wants Jonah to join him in celebration. That even when we are angry at the unfairness of life, other people's blessings are bigger than mine. I deserve it. They don't. And I'm angry. God's calling you to an opportunity to celebrate. You can be angry or you can celebrate. You can protest or you can praise. You can have displeasure or you can have worship. And this sermon in the next 20 minutes I want to talk to you about how we learn to celebrate the goodness of God in other people's lives and not live in anger. And you can scroll through Instagram, social media, where we are, and celebrate. Is that good? Isn't that good? Like, uh, comparison is such a big thing, right? You think about, by the way, in my sermon, I don't have points today. I'm a points guy. It's just one sermon, like one point, okay? So I don't want you to be like 40 minutes in, and he's like, he's still going to have six points after this probably. No points today. But when it comes to comparison and Instagram or any social media, uh, the biggest advice I give people, and I stand by this advice, and this is the advice people give, is that you just need to be less on social media. You're always comparing. You're always bitter. You're always thinking about how you have less. You're always noticing all the lack in your life. Just get less of social media. Now, that is a great advice. There's wisdom to not being trapped in unnecessary temptations. But at the same time, just notice we're not really dealing with our hearts. (laughs) I've reduced how much triggers I have in my life, but my heart is still the bitter, selfish, self-inward-looking heart. I want to talk to you about how we live celebrating God's goodness in others' lives. So God is doing that to Jonah. He's inviting Jonah to celebrate what God is doing in Nineveh. And the first thing that God does, and here's the answer. God wants Jonah to understand that God is God. God is God. That's it. This chapter 4, what is it about? It's about God being God. Now, that's a simple phrase, confusing phrase. 
but so profound. God is God. He's not defined by us. There's two categories in all of the universe. Creator, creation. In creation is everything you have, everyone you know, all of your cats. Everything is in creation. Angels, demons, everything is in this bucket called creation. And in the bucket called creator is just one, the triune God. By the way, Satan is not a rival of God. He's a rival of Michael, the archangel. He belongs in the creation category. God is God. As he is God, he has no limits. Everything you ever do, you consider your limits. I'm tired. I have a load. I can't do too much. I get overwhelmed. God has no limits. Importantly, God never asks us what he can and what he can't do. Never. All of us here don't know what that's like. You think about just even in social media posts. I don't know why we're going on social media so much today. But even in social media posts, you take three hours to come up with the right caption. Why? You care what people think. That's never God. He doesn't ask of us anything. What I want you to see is that God is God, and that means two profound truths. That God is God in all he is, and God is God in all he does. God is God in all he is, without limits, self-sufficient. He doesn't need anyone. He just is, and God is God in all he does. We must recognize God's godness. He's unlike anyone or anything you know. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, God is talking to Moses and says, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's God. He's all that he is, and he does all that he does without asking or checking in with anyone. And in Jonah chapter 4, uh, God invites Jonah and creates a plant that comes and covers him. What's the purpose of that story? So what God does is in verse 8, Jonah went out of the city, sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah, that it may be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. When God came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so it had withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Uh, What's the purpose of this story? Oh, it's so profound. God gives, and God 
takes away. God gives and God takes away. God is God in all that he does. Notice something. Why was that plant in the first place there? The answer, God is good. Jonah never asked for the plant. In fact, what we see in the book of Jonah is God makes, uh, takes self-initiative for everything. He decides to send a message to Nineveh. God does. He sends a submarine in the form of a fish to swallow Jonah when he's drowning so he doesn't drown. God does. God makes it 40 days. Why 40 days? He could have made it two days. He could have made it one day. He makes it 40 days because he's merciful. He decides so to give people opportunity to respond. And now in Jonah's bitterness, God creates a plant to give him physical comfort. There's a message here. God does all that he does. He's God, and he's merciful, and he has compassion on whom he has compassion. And we don't know why God does things. It's his property. It's his right. I used to ask my young son, Zeke, he's young, but when he was younger, why does daddy love you so much? You know what he would say? He gave me the most theologically correct answer. He said, I don't know. Uh, church, why does God love you so much? I, I don't know. He provided his son to die for me, that in him I would have the fullness of spiritual life, and I spend eternity with him. Why did he do that? It's not because you're cute or pretty or handsome, or special, or talented. And what that means is you are more secure in God's love than you can imagine. Because the reason God loves you is not in you, it's in Him. And His love is unfailing. God is merciful. So we have no say in what God does. We have no say in showing God's mercy, who God's going to show mercy. And let me tell you why that's such good news. Because if I had a say where God was going to have mercy, on whom God was going to have mercy, how much God's going to have mercy, I would first probably disqualify myself from that mercy. I would give God a map of my life and I said, God, you can cover this, you can cover this. And I would be ashamed of a few things in my past. Wait, if all this whole time to say this next phrase because I'm going to get sassy. It's not your business which parts in your life can or won't be touched by God's love. You don't get to decide. It's not your, up to you to decide which parts of my life can be healed or can't be healed, restored or can't be restored, forgiven or unforgiven. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, God covers you totally and completely, grace upon grace, and you get to live in forgiveness in every area of your life. And you need to hear this, some of you, because there's strongholds in your life of shame Guilt and condemnation, but you've been forgiven. And now you get the opportunity to live into that forgiveness in the areas of your shame. Because you don't get to decide what parts can or can't be touched by God's mercy. Is that good? 
You're forgiven. What Jonah is noticing about God and learning about God is that God does as God does. God is God. That's the first lesson. That's the first part of creating the plant. Is God creates and God takes away. And Jonah realizes, I am actually dealing with a God I don't have a say in. I can only accept and submit. But here's the problem. If we go to the next passage, if we go back a little, if we go all the way back to Exodus 33, 19, if this is who God is, if this is who God is, if this is all that God is, if this is how God does, can we get really honest? This makes me nervous. It makes me scared. You mean God has compassion where he has compassion? God has mercy where he has mercy? Come on. Are you ever scared about this? (laughs) What if God leaves me out? What if he leaves my children out of this? Or my friends? Or my church? I mean, that's scary to us. Why want to give God a mercy budget? And say, God, here's where it goes. Here's who it goes to. I don't like the fact that God is God. Because all of a sudden, I don't have the control, and he has all the mercy and the compassion, and he decides. So all of a sudden, I'm super nervous. Like, I want to supervise God's distribution of mercy. I was, (laughs) one more story about my children. In my home, I have this um, philosophy, parenting philosophy. Albina doesn't like it. And it's this, you know, kids can do anything they want pretty much, use all of my tools, climb the car, because they live in a suburb, they don't have a forest, I wanna give them the kind of house. And so whenever I do something, a project around the house, my children come in and they're like, Dad, we're helping. I'm like, absolutely, you're helping. Let's get to it. It's usually a bad idea. One time I gave Zeke a paint, bra- paint roller, and I said, Zeke, okay, this is your area. You, you paint right here, okay? And deep down inside, I'm like, Oof, really gotta watch this guy. I promise to God, I turn away for one second, and that brother is painting the window. (laughs) And for me, I'm like, oh, you have to watch him this whole time, and maybe that's how we feel about God's mercy. I kind of want to have a say, God, who you're going to have mercy on, and where it goes, and how much of it goes. And Jonah chapter 4 teaches us a profound lesson. Look at how it ends in verses 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. By the way, right hand from their left, what does that mean? That means moral judgments. They're unable to make moral judgments. Do you know what this teaches us? While we may be afraid 
that God is God and does as he pleases and gives mercy as he pleases, Jonah chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, teaches us that God loves more than you. And that God cares more than you. And that God's plans, let's stop right here. Who is better, God or Jonah? Who's kinder, God or Jonah? Who's more loving, God or Jonah? It's always the case that God is a thousand times more loving than we are. You see, our mercy distribution ends where God goes for eternity. Our love for people changes and shifts, and we have, and we do usually transactions. God's love is unconditional. Do you believe that God loves more than you? Do you believe that God cares more than you care? Do you believe that God is kinder than you are? Because when we read this part about God having compassion on those he'll have compassion and mercy on those he'll have mercy, we get scared. You know why we get scared? Because we think we can love God. We love more than God does. We care more than God cares. There are things that I can come up with and plans I can have that exceed God's plans. But you know what frees us? Do you know what gives us liberty and joy and excitement and hope and ability to anchor our lives in God? Is that God is God? (laughs) And he's always more loving and caring than I am. This means that I'm never forsaken. This means that, what about my children? God's got your children. What about our city? God's got our city. He loves more. He's more caring. I want to give a little little formula here. God does as he pleases. That's the story of the plant growing up. But God ends with a truth. I care more than you care. I care more than you care. So let me get practical. If you are someone who struggles with God's goodness in other people's lives, or in the lives of your enemies, or in the lives of your competitors, do you know what will instantly help you go from anger to celebration? It's when you accept that God's being God. In so-and-so's life, God is just God. He's being himself. That in my enemy's life, God is being God, and that doesn't mean that I'm left out of the picture. That doesn't mean God's forsaking me. That doesn't mean that God's overlooked my children. That doesn't mean that God's overlooked my plans for the future. So when you are scrolling on social media, when you find out from a friend that they're engaged and you're single, you can celebrate. 
That's just God doing his thing in their lives. But he loves me no less. When you see someone rejoicing at a promotion, you can celebrate with them. God is God and he does as he does and pleases as he pleases. But it doesn't mean that I'm all of a sudden overlooked. And my blessing is not coming. God loves you. God cares for you. God's guiding you. God has you in his hand. He's, you are in his plans. God has a plan for your life. Somebody gets a house. <laughs> you know, right now, um, by the way, we're being really practical. Right now, being, buying a house is really, really difficult. I know some of you here are trying to buy a house, and some of you here are thinking, there's no way I can buy a house. And then you hear of someone who bought a house. And there's a potential for envy, and there's a potential for anger at God. Like, God, what's up? Or you can accept that God is being God. <laughs> And he does not love me any less nor care for me. I think wrapping our minds around God, who is simply God, is one of the most freeing things that we as Christians can do. We can often blend the two categories of creation and creator. And God becomes more like us. And we start worrying like about God and what he's going to do and we need to recognize that beautiful, holy distance. That God is completely different from me. He's unlike me. He doesn't have limitations like I have. He doesn't have a mercy budget and he's going to run out because he spent it on somebody else. No. No. God cares more than you and has infinite supply of riches and power, and love, and forgiveness for where you are. God is teaching Jonah an amazing lesson about who he is. And it's a lesson that I wish, and I hope, and I'm praying that Mercy Church today, we can learn. That we can learn. So that we can learn in our lives not to be angry, but to celebrate with others. See, we're always, we're so good, we're so good at celebrating God's mercy in my life. But the next step for you is to celebrate God's mercy in others' lives. And gain by that, gain a heart of God for people. So I want to pray right now. And I want to pray with a couple of, two groups of people. One group of people I want to pray with are those who feel like their life is unfair. And you have a hard time trusting God to be God. You're just not sure about his timing. You're just not sure about him loving you, sustaining you, guiding you. And it would be really, really good for you today. And you would really, really want to know, God, I can trust you. I can trust your plans. I can trust your ways. I can trust that you are God. I don't have to try to control. I don't have to worry about this. That's you. I want to pray with you. If you have a hard time trusting God, you feel like life is unfair. And the second group of people I want to 
pray with are the people who've never put their faith in Jesus. You've never believed in Christ. You've never brought your sins to God. We are fallen. We have fallen far short of God's standard of his law. And every time we fall short of his standard of his law, that's called sin. And every sin needs to be paid for. And today you have an opportunity to have Jesus take your punishment. Have Jesus take your punishment. Have Jesus pay your penalty. Well, what does it cost me? Nothing. It's faith. It's trusting in God. It's running to him. And Jonah, throughout the whole book, points to us that Jesus is that second Jonah. Jesus is the better Jonah. When Jonah tosses himself into the water so that the crew can be saved, Jesus throws himself on the cross. He's without sin so that you can be saved.